0: Father Glowworm was a wise and crafty predator. It could create tunnels to any location in the physical world, but kept the exits in deep, dark places where humans wouldn't notice, and never lingered around the same settlements for very long. If lesser spirits wanted to make a go for the lands of humans using his abandoned passages, that was none of its concern. Kuruk's mistake was trading names with it. Spirits with self-appointed names were incredibly powerful and dangerous, Nyahitha had told him, and there was a power in introductions. Knowing Father Glowworm's name finalized the curse that had been slowly building upon the avatar over the years. It dried the ink on the contract. Father Glowworm knew it, too, the two of them were in it together for the long haul, the spirit declared. Perhaps they would have fun. Kuruk, deadened with exhaustion, showed the human eating spirit his definition of fun. Their fight nearly created a gaping hole in the boundary between realms. Father Glowworm was stronger than the other spirits, and Kuruk was too stubborn to die. Their energies bit into each other like blades clashing edge to edge, leaving permanent notches. With a strike that nearly broke the foundations of the bedrock around them, Kuruk wounded Father Glowworm grievously, the spirit diminishing in size and power several times over. But it managed to escape, wriggling away into an endless labyrinth of darkness. It was an outcome the Avatar found acceptable. The disappointing secret of Pai show most novices never learned was that at the very highest levels, half the matches between masters ended in unsatisfying, inconclusive draws. He'd done lasting damage to his enemy, enough to ensure the spirit would keep out of the human world for at least a generation or two. And it had marked him in return. Neither of them would ever fully heal from the encounter. They would know each other in their bones forever, like old friends. Kiyoshi stepped away from her predecessor's memories gently, like they were pieces of crystal too delicate to handle. Unlike the communing session in North Chungling, where she'd watched his youth unfold by herself, Kurok had been standing beside her as they silently witnessed the horrors of his later life. There hadn't been a right time to speak to him. Still, she was grateful for his presence this time around. She couldn't have handled watching those memories on her own. Father Glowworm had scared her witless back when she had met the spirit in the flesh. She looked at Kuruk, examining his strained but stoic face. By the time of his death, he would have been more injury than unbroken skin underneath his clothes. His appearance in the spirit world must have been altered by his own perceptions and preferences he remembered a version of himself from before the worst days of his life took over. The meadow around them had been mended and no longer looked like a broken plate. Why were there so many angry spirits during your era? She asked. She understood now that Kurok had only taken on the creatures that couldn't be appeased by anything but death. That's a question for another day, he said. In order to give you the aid you sought, I had to share memories of my Avatar Hood and Father Glowworm. Now that you remember this portion of your past life, you'll be able to find your boy in the physical world. Trust me. She found herself believing him. What about the rest of your memories? The words slipped out before Kiyoshi realized she was prying. Kurok's jaw tightened. There's little to see after I lost my friends. Where was Kurok, Kiyoshi had once asked Kelsung, curious about what happened after their group had split. Traveling the world had been the answer. Breaking hearts and taking names, being Kurok. It sounded like the water avatar had been living it up by himself, having one great adventure across the four nations. But the grief in his face right now told her differently. After the companions of his youth left his side, Kuruk had been alone, surrounded by a world that celebrated him perhaps, but completely and utterly alone. The man in front of her was a physically large person. But looking at him, she could only see the limits of the space Koruk filled. It reminded her of the way Genju's corpse seemed to shrink after the life left his body. Death and time made everyone small, reduced them to trivialities. She had no doubt her successor would look at her with skepticism wondering why everyone claimed this Kiyoshi person was considered a giant. I'm glad I finally reached you, Avatar Kurok, she said, meaning it wholly. His shoulders hitched, and then they eased. She didn't consider he might have needed this connection as much as her, assuming a past life could need anything. There's one more thing, I have to tell you. Kuruk suddenly appeared reluctant, a change of mind taking hold of him. But I don't know if it's ultimately worth it. I don't want to cause you more pain. Kiyoshi read his grimace and realized another flaw in Kuruk's character. Outside of his bending opponents, perhaps, he could not stand seeing other people get hurt. You might as well. Kurok
1: sighed, come with me.
0: They walked side by side. The unreality of distance and solid ground flowed to their advantage. A few strides took them out of the meadow and into the horizon, as if they were spinning the world underneath them with their feet. She forgot to observe their journey and take in the splendors of the spirit world. By the time she remembered to look for Kelsung's glorious painted landscapes and curious talking creatures, they arrived at their destination. They'd gone from nightmare to nightmare. Kurok and Kiyoshi stood at the tip of a drained dead swamp, Trees that needed their roots submerged in liquid had withered into kindling. The silt floor of the basin had dried into dusty mud crack. She had an idea where the water had gone. A great gash in the earth had opened, splitting the width of the swamp's edge. The crack started small and tore away from her feet like the beginnings of a great canyon cut into the desert. The depths were filled with the same wild, clashing, mindless color that Kiyoshi had threatened to immerse herself and Kurok into. The creator of this tear had stood where they stood now, the origin point clearly marked like a burst of outrage. Did Yun do this? Yes. The spirit world reacts to our emotions, The wounds we bring into this place take on physical characteristics. Unlike the rupture you created, this one isn't healing. Your boy is keeping it open and festering by clinging to his anger. Kiyoshi nodded. I know. Yun's not in his right mind because of Father Glowworm's influence.
1: No. No. You've
0: held on to that excuse long enough. Kurok was gentle but unyielding. What I needed to tell you is that spirits can possess a human being's body, and they might even merge with a person to give them new shapes and forms. But they don't take over people's thoughts. Yun is in complete control of his actions. He has been, the whole time. Oh, Kiyoshi said. She wavered where she stood. Oh. If Kuruk was right about Yun, then Zoryu was too. I'm sorry, kid, Kuruk said. I wish it wasn't so. The sky, a clear blue sheen, began to swirl around her axis. Clouds appeared for the sole purpose of marking her spiral. Kurok glanced up with a disappointed expression. Shame. Looks like rain. We'll have to cut the outing short. Kiyoshi tried to speak, and salt water came out of her mouth. It spilled down her chin and dampened her robes. She wanted to give parting words to Kurok, but her throat was thick with the sea. Someone rolled her to her side, and the rest of the water came rushing out of her body. She felt the wooden deck of Sulan's smile pressing against her cheek. Captain Junho and the crew ringed her, frowning with worry. It would be bad luck if an avatar died aboard their ship, even a foolish earthborn one. As Kiyoshi lay there, she could feel the gift Kuruk had given her. The battle between the previous Avatar and Father Glowworm had left identifying scars on both parties, marks carved so deep as to be permanent. She and Yun were the inheritors of that legacy. She could tell where he was. It was a faint presence, flickering at this distance, but it had a direction. She knew if she reached for him, Extended the flow of her spirit, she could follow him to his location. He'd likely tracked her through the Fire Nation using the same method. They were each other's beacons, two torches in the darkness. And he'd used that connection over and over again to make her suffer. Kiyoshi sniffed and immediately regretted it. She wiped the burning salt sensation from her nose. I thought I told you not to come after me, she said to Captain Jun-ho. Several sailors were dripping wet like she was. The strongest swimmers must have fished her out. Jun-ho nodded solemnly. You did, but that was obviously a stupid order, and we were never going to obey it. If only the world were filled with common-sensed people like the captain and his crew, She let her head thunk back to the deck and closed her eyes. How dare you defy your avatar, she muttered.
1: Interlude
0: The Man from the Spirit World After consuming Father Glowworm, Yun went through the checks Sifu Amak had taught him to perform after coming into contact with potentially deadly toxins. There was no burning or numbness in his stomach or on his skin. No tingling on his lips. His vision was as clear as it had ever been. He held out his hand and spread his fingers. They were steady. No effect. Perhaps he'd drunk enough vileness in his life to render him immune. If there were signs that appeared when a spirit passed into a human, they were masked by his own flesh. He couldn't discern whether Father Glowworm was destroyed, dissipated, or alive somewhere inside him. He didn't care. He was more puzzled by what had spurred him to behave so. Maybe it was sheer contempt for his enemy. Genju had often told him to try and avoid feeling contempt in his political duties. It made you act irrationally, blinded you to your own gain. Jenju Yun gazed around him, his hands on his hips. He decided, quite logically, and of his own accord, that he should start digging. Straight down. He dropped to his knees and buried his fingers in the damp soil, parting the dirt. He shoved clods of earth, spirit earth, out of his way, yanking at the remaining roots that laced themselves across his path. He tore at the fibrous weave, sap bleeding into the lines of his palms. Forcing his way through the layer of living vegetation, he encountered darker clay. He went deeper. He dug as the animals did, not like badger moles with their bending, but in the manner of clawed, malign, lower beasts that never saw the light of day. Creatures that laid grubs and grew fat, and pulsing and luminescent in the darkness. He flung clods and castings behind him and over his head. The which way was up no longer mattered. He bored deeper and deeper, darker and darker, until the only sound in the pitch black was his own breath. His exhalations, hot and trapped against his skin. Yun woke face up. He had to pry his eyelids apart with his fingers, glued together as they were with dried tears and sediment. He was lucky. Had he passed out under the sky with them open, the burning sun would have blinded him permanently. The other part of his body he feared for were his nails. They should have been chipped, shattered, worn down to flakes. He'd scratched away at so much soil and stone with hands that weren't meant for it. But they were fine. Dirty, yes. Kiyoshi would certainly give him a scolding later. She hated it when he absentmindedly picked the grime from under his nails throughout the day. There's such a thing as soap, he shouted in imitation of his friend's distress. His voice bounced off the striated walls of a gully. The runoff that had carved it was long gone. Nothing grew here. I may be dying of thirst, he thought to himself. Yun staggered out to the path the rain would have taken had there been any. The earth was so barren and devoid of animal signs that he thought he was still in the spirit world, doomed to wander a wasteland until the land sloped away to reveal a town below him. He picked his way down the rocky hillside, hunching and limping, until he remembered he wasn't injured, just tired, and possibly delusional. There was no way any of what he'd gone through could be real, was there? The spirit world was as much of a state of mind as it was a place, according to some scholars. The settlement bore marks of cheap, rapid construction, the type of boomtown constructed to exploit opportunities and people in equal measure. He could tell with a couple of footsteps that most of the brickwork wouldn't last more than a few years. Yoon kept his mouth shut, despite being on the receiving end of a few hard stares from the villagers on the outskirts. Blundering in and shouting, Hey, what place is this? Where am I? was an invitation for trouble. But try as he might, he lost all caution and composure once he saw the well at the center of the square. He ran toward it, stumbling over his own feet, frantic like a pet for its returning master. A very large man, sitting on the porch of one of the nearest buildings, saw him and slowly got up. He walked over, placing himself firmly in Yun's path. A heavy club dangled from his belt. Yun slowed to a halt. This is Governor Twoswell, the guard said. If you got tags, you can drink. He flicked the carved wooden chits that hung from a string around his neck. He had the twang of Shishanese in his 4th tone syllables, which meant Yun wasn't far from where he'd first exited the human world, dragged into that cave by Father Glowworm. This town must have been built as part of a new mining operation, its citizens the workforce brought in from afar. He wondered how many of the villagers knew they could glimpse their futures farther along the mountain range. They only had to look at the abandoned ruins where Genju had brought him and Kiyoshi. Once the veins of ore dried up, so would the money. The workers would be discarded, just like the husks of their homes. No more use to anyone. Yun ground his heel into the dust. Through his earth bending, he could feel the shape of the well. The weathering told him it had been dug in the distant past, probably a century before any human being realized there was wealth to be extracted from the mountains. Did Governor Tuo put that water in the earth? Did he drill that well himself? Yun's tongue rasped over his lips. It was difficult for the walls of his throat to part from each other. The worst part was he knew Tuo and the parsimonious governor was exactly the type of man who would refuse someone a drink like this. The guard's hand moved to his club. Look, Yun said. Let me have some water, and I'll make sure you're rewarded beyond- The sentence died in a gasp. He was too weak to offer the man a fortune beyond his wildest imagination. It occurred to him- that he no longer had any fortune to give. There was a trove of wealth in the mansion in Yukoya, and he owned exactly none of it. Go try one of the shops, the guard said. He drew his weapon and pointed to the corner of the square. They can give you their water if they want, but this here is the governor's well. All right, all right, The first shop in that direction was a tea house as far as he could tell. It was just another step added before his destination, no need to despair yet. Yoon teetered over to the building, where a chimney sent puffs of friendly white smoke into the air, indicating a stove was burning away, boiling water for tea. The entrance was on the other side. He navigated the alley, using the walls for support skimming his hand against the texture of the brick, and only made it halfway through before slumping to the ground. Now, this is a familiar feeling, he thought, his back pressing against the outside of a building he wanted to be inside. Just like the good old days in Makapu, listening in on the classroom. His teeth chattered. He hadn't realized how cold he was, His head tilted lower. His thoughts drifted to Kiyoshi again. He could feel her warmth against his flank, as if she were next to him. She wasn't, though. She was in Taihua, the wrong mountain range, on the complete opposite end of the Earth Kingdom. Yun blinked awake from the sleep that threatened to claim him and never let go. How did he know Kyoshi was in Taihua? He tried reaching for her again. Their distance across the physical realm didn't matter. He was certain of it now. Her spirit was a beacon, a shimmering signal in the darkness. Steady.
1: Reassuring. Unique.
0: It was everything he wanted. He yanked himself back to his own place in the world, ashamed. Of course her spirit stands out among all others. She's the avatar. He was too dried out to cry and too weary to cry out. Here, among humans, the earth did not automatically shake itself asunder in obeisance to his emotions. There was nowhere for the pain to go, no reflection of his suffering. Another wave of grief swelled inside him, and he could only cling to his own sides, powerless, trying not to drown. Oh, come on, a man shouted loud enough to rattle the waxed paper covering a window above Yoon's head. You're docking me half a week for one missed day? You should be grateful you're not fired, someone else replied calmly, probably the owner of the tea house. You miss your shift? You don't get paid. How hard is it to show up for work when you're supposed to? It's because you insist on using that stupid calendar, said the first one. The 6,020-whateverth day of the era of Yun? What are you, some upper-ring ninny who sleeps with a portrait of the avatars under his pillow? It's not gonna make this dump any fancier. Yun froze at hearing his own name. They were referring to the avatar calendar. Six thousand and twenty-odd days into his era meant Yun had been trapped in the spirit world for about a week. I'm surprised you're not a greater devotee, the owner said to his delinquent worker. Didn't the avatar save your sorry hide from the big bad pirate queen? Wait, what? A woman said. Boots clunked to the floor like she'd taken them off a chair to sit up in interest. I never heard about this. You were one of Tagaka's hostages? Gao here is originally from Lanso village on the other side of these mountains. The owner said he got nabbed like a gold piece left in the street. whisked away like a poached pig chicken. "Oh, cram it," said the other man. "You tell the story more often than I do." He sounded like he viewed the whole experience as embarrassing instead of harrowing, like tripping into a pile of manure. Yoon squeezed his eyes shut. He'd been thrown one last bit of luck. He summoned the energy to stand up, unsure if he could do it again after this. There was no door, only an empty frame with a curtain tied to the side. As he entered, Yun knocked on the wooden strut to draw the attention of the people inside. Sorry to trouble you, he said. He'd seen finer establishments, to say the least. The interior was furnished with rope spools for tables. The benches were overturned supply crates. The owner, a burly man with heavy-lidded eyes and hairy arms, was in the middle of wiping used cups, evidently the only cleaning they ever saw. His gaze dipped to Yoon's chest, where no tags were to be found. What do you want? I could use some water, please. He heard a laugh come from the woman sitting at a table. She had wavy hair tied back low on her head, and a round, flat face. Her boots were caked with dried slurry, but only up to the ankle. She must have been a shift boss from the mines. A regular worker would have been covered in the filth from head to toe, nor would they be in a tea house in the middle of the day. Yun did his best not to stare at the steaming pot in front of her, or the long, damp leaves poking out from under the lid of her ceramic gaiwan. Do you have money? The owner said. I do not. His pockets were empty, and after clawing his way back to the mortal world, Yoon's once fine robes were no longer capable of convincing anyone he was rich. Then get out. The owner said it with so little malice that it sounded like a pleasant good afternoon. Yoon expected this response, but he had one last desperate counterplay. I couldn't help overhearing your conversation about the Avatar. You... Someone who obviously respects the master of all four elements. He bowed slightly at the owner before turning to Gao. And you, sir, whom the avatar rescued from danger. Gao was thinner in body and face than his boss, and in the habit of shifting his weight from side to side where he stood. Yeah, he said defensively, his pinched features turning even narrower in suspicion. What of it? I know it sounds hard to believe, Yoon said. But I'm the- He hitched. An era passed in silence, the almost lie stuck to his lips. I'm Yun, he said, recovering. I am the man your calendar refers to. I led the rescue efforts in the southern seas he gave it a moment to sink in. Now, I ask you again, can I please have some water? Perhaps he would have been taken seriously had he not hesitated over his identity. Perhaps it wouldn't have made a difference. The owner's sleepy-looking eyes sparked with amusement, not reverence. I don't know, he said. He tilted his head at Yun. Gao, is this your savior? Gao squinted. The sailors who picked us up off that iceberg were Fire Navy. I didn't see an avatar do anything to rescue me. Yes, but I, uh, you see, it's- Yun's hand went to his head. A quick way to explain the complexities and logistics of transporting over a thousand kidnapped Earth Kingdom villagers eluded him. The owner took advantage of his loss for words by going to the stove and placing a fresh cast iron pot on it. From the heavy way it clanked, it was full. I'll tell you what, he said. You can have all the water you want, provided you stay right over there. He wrapped the pot with his knuckles. Here, have a drink on me. Yun's jaw fell you what Your earth kingdom so if you're who you say you are then it shouldn't be a problem for you to water bend some refreshment over to that gaping mouth of yours seems fair said the mine boss grinning wickedly she took a deliberately long and noisy sip from her own cup Though Gao had been angry with his employer moments earlier, he too found Yun's stunned silence a great joke. Come on, master of the elements, he guffawed. Aren't you thirsty? There was a ringing in Yun's ears. It was as if he'd lingered too close to a firecracker, spent too much time watching the lit string burn down to its ends. And now he was living in the aftermath of the explosion. You're asking me to prove I'm the avatar, he whispered hoarsely, for a drink of water. There was no more. There was no more left in Yun. There was no more he had to give. He raised a trembling finger. I risked my life for you, he said, pointing at Gao. I risked my life- to save yours. You wouldn't be standing here right now if it wasn't for me. Gao's eyes went wide. He tried to protest, but something blocked the words from leaving his throat. The owner and the mine boss looked like they were going to mock him for being singled out, but Yun fixed them with stares. And you too. You couldn't just... You couldn't just help me. Hey now, the woman said, suddenly finding a cliff on the other side of the door they'd opened. She scraped backward in her chair, jarring her table. Her cup tipped over, sloshing its contents to the floor. You can, you can have mine. You can have what's left, she grasped clumsily at the pot she'd been drinking from but only managed to get the lid, not the handle. Take it, take it. It was too late for that. I dedicated my life to people like you, Yun said. He couldn't tell if he was laughing, crying, croaking out bestial sounds of fury. The human speech was mixed in somewhere. I wanted you to thrive, I wanted you to prosper, I tried so hard. There was a crash behind him. He saw the owner of the tea house fleeing out the back of the shop. Yoon swept his hand over the air, and a string of filthy ceramic cups flicked out like a whip, flattening themselves into a knife's edge. They slashed across the back of the big man's legs, sending him to the floor with a gruesome thud. Knocked out. Yun would have to wake him up at some point. He turned back to Gao and the mine boss, who trembled in place, stuck with fear. He watched their foundations sway, trying to figure out whether or not he enjoyed it. He decided it didn't matter. Yun reached over Gao's shoulder, giving the man a conspiratorial smile and closed the door curtain from the inside. Yoon drank the stagnant sulfurous water from the thick walled bucket. It sloshed down the front of his chest, puddling on the ground in front of the town well. It was the best drink he'd ever had. He poured some out on the face of the well guard, lying at his feet. Unlike some people, he shared his bounties. How's the governor's water taste, he asked. The liquid splashed against the corpse's glassy, unblinking eyes and pooled in its open mouth. Around him, the town was silent. Everyone who could run had. He would have to learn to control his energies at some point if he didn't want people fleeing him on sight. Yoon drew another bucket and poured it over his head, repeating the process until his runoff no longer contained streaks of bloody crimson. He threw the wooden vessel to the side and listened to its hollow clank. See, Kiyoshi, he thought. I can bathe without hot water. No problem. His friend's presence beckoned to him from across the world. Though he wasn't certain on the details, He was convinced there was a permanent connection between the spirit that took him and the avatar. Kiyoshi was Kurok, and he was, he was who he was. Well, he said out loud to no one, it looks like I've been fired. Perhaps it was for the best. He would need the free time because he had a list of things to do, lots of personal business to take care of. And at the top of the list was paying his respects to Jenju. Filled with new purpose, Yun took off down the road,
1: whistling as he went. Home again. Yokoya
0: had never been wealthy, but now, without Genju's presence, its prospects seemed even grimmer than Kiyoshi remembered as a child. The ghosts of the sages who had fallen here would take a long time to relinquish their hold on the moldering docks, the hardened rocky fields, the sparse weather-beaten houses. A month had passed since Zoryu's victory kiyoshi walked slowly through town wading through her own past the queasiness in her stomach told her she'd been wrong back when she'd declared her ties severed with yukoya after kelsong's death she was and would always be from this village only home could make you feel this bad she passed one of the logs pounded into the earth in an attempt to please the spirits and shook her head. Perhaps the ones who inhabited this peninsula were gentle and satisfied by stakes in the ground. It wasn't out of the question. The spirits, as she was learning, were subject to all the variations and complexities of human beings. There were the terrible ones, the irrational ones, the cruel ones, the harmless ones, The ones who would talk to you, and the ones who would force you to guess their whims, like a servant groveling before a silent, smirking master. Motion caught her eye, children scampering from cover to cover. They poked their heads out from behind doorways and corners of houses, whispering to each other. She wasn't wearing her makeup. They were just rude the way children were, peering at the stranger. The adults gave her perfunctory nods as they continued their sweeping, the never-ending sweeping. Pushing dirt around from one place to the other was a burden and obligation shared by the lowly of every nation. She had no doubt that if she visited one of the poles at length, she would see the common folk doing the same with the snow, herding the drifts from one end of a village to another, it was a small mercy that she didn't see Aoma or anyone else from that crew. Then she remembered the reason. It was the middle of the workday. The villagers her age would be toiling in the fields, stooped among the furrows, or out at sea, hauling in the day's catch. She, the exalted avatar, had stepped off a pleasure craft belonging to the royal family of the Fire Nation. There was no sense or structure to it, the way the world scattered lives into the wind like chaff to land so far apart. She left the village and made her way deeper into the fallow sections of land. The path made a sharp turn around the hillside, and she braced herself for what she was about to see. The Avatar's estate, in all of its shabbiness. Facing the results of her own neglect was difficult, it made her wonder if she could ever call herself a tidy person again. The once vibrant colors of the walls badly needed a fresh coat of paint. The south-facing gatehouse was empty, and some of the iron studs of its heavy doors were beginning to rust. The lawn was overgrown and patchy with weeds. It was a testament to how much effort was needed to maintain a large manor in good order, to fight the ravages of time and decay. It took so much energy to remain frozen in an eternal state, never changing. Once you gave up, turned your attention away for the slightest second. Collapse progressed further than you expected. Kiyoshi shoved the gates open, the metal groan announcing her presence. The garden had thrived and died in equal measure, certain shrubs coming to dominate the others. Balance had been lost, or perhaps... It had been restored to a form displeasing to humans. Thin tendrils of vines curled over the outdoor sculptures and had taken root in the sands of the meditation maze. Hardy weeds had taken the place of precious ephemeral flowers. There was a message for her written in pebbles over the ground. I'm inside. Even with the house in its current condition, There should have been someone to greet her. The halls looked completely abandoned. Kiyoshi's footsteps echoed and creaked over the wooden floors as she checked each section of the mansion in turn. She found what she was looking for in the dining room. Yun sat at the head of the long table with a small place setting in front of him. He was calmly eating a plate of dumplings Auntie Mui stood at attention behind him, tears in her eyes. It was the garden party all over again. Kiyoshi's first thought was to separate hostage and captor, to free Mui from whatever bonds Yun had her in, and get her to safety. But before she could, Mui let out a sob and bounded over to her. She collided with Kiyoshi and wrapped her short arms around the small of her back, the highest she could reach. My girl, my girl, she said, weeping with joy. At last, my girl and my boy are both finally home. Kiyoshi stared hard at Yun over the top of Auntie Mui's head. He met her gaze and sipped his tea. This house will be a home again, Mui sobbed, her tears forming a damp spot on Kiyoshi's robes. We'll clean up the rooms. We'll have the guests coming back. The two of you, you were the heart of this place. And now, you're together again. Everything will go back to the way it was. Yes, Auntie, Kiyoshi said, never dropping her eyes from Yun's. She gave the older woman a gentle squeeze and patted her on the back, Everything will be all right from now on. I promise. Yun smirked. Lying to our elders now, are we? How low. Auntie, he said. We should have a big dinner tonight to welcome Kyoshi home. <gasps> yes. Mui's eyes shone with happiness. Of course, I'll need to do some shopping in town. What would you like to eat, my dear? Stock nose mushrooms, Kiyoshi said firmly. Mui would search Yokoya end to end before realizing she couldn't find them. The feudal quest would buy Kiyoshi more time. Mui nodded, undaunted. She hurried out of the dining room, paused by the doorway to give her children one last beaming look and then disappeared down the hall. Yun gave it enough time for Auntie Mui to leave the mansion before speaking. She'll be gone for a while, he said. And she gave the remaining staff the day off. The house should be empty. He popped the last dumpling into his mouth and laid down his chopsticks, chewing in contemplation. If there's anything I've missed about this place, It's auntie's cooking. So, what have you been doing for the past few weeks? Yun said once he was done. Mastering the avatar state? Or some other secret fighting technique you wanted to use against me? I was learning healing. My teacher says I'm the fastest study she's ever seen. Are you here to look at my arm then? He rolled the shoulder, Heyron had injured. It was probably the reason he'd laid low until now, and it had recovered enough not to bother him. Are you going to try and make me all better? Now it seemed they were both ready. No, Yun, Kiyoshi said. I'm here to put you away. Yun leaned onto the table, chin in one hand, interested in this new development. You can't be allowed to show your face in public again, Kiyoshi said. "Zodius managed to contain the damage you've done in the Fire Nation, but if you resurfaced now, the country would fall apart. So, I don't care about that anymore. And the beautiful thing is, I don't have to. I used to have to negotiate, accommodate, bend over backward to make people happy. But those days are over. You know what I spent the last few weeks doing while I recovered from my injury? I thought about all the liars and backstabbers I've met across the four nations who kissed my feet when I was the Avatar. A blissful thought crossed his mind, and he smiled. And I realized that I could kill them all, he said. Not an exaggeration. With enough time, I truly think I could actually kill them all. I know their names. I know how they're connected. Most important, I know why they would deserve it. Kiyoshi had hoped she could talk some sense into Yun. She'd hoped his rage had been sated upon leaving the Fire Nation and that he might come along with her quietly. But it was clear now. Yun's rampage was never going to end with Janju and Haydan and Lu. In his eyes, the whole world had wronged him. He wasn't trying to balance the scales with his killings. He was trying to smash the device into bits. Yun, Kiyoshi said, you're not going anywhere. Oh? What are you going to do? Send me to the prisons at Laogai? Lock me up below the house in a cage, like Jenju did to Ping an So he'd known about that. I don't want to fight you, Kiyoshi, Yun said. But you're not leaving me much of a choice here. Knowing the truth, that Yun wasn't being controlled by a spirit, that this was the real him, was as painful as Kurok had warned. Talking to Yun was like pulling out barbs. Little pieces of her flesh were tearing away with every word, irrecoverable, but it had to be done. Kiyoshi drew her fans. I didn't say you had a choice. His brows shot up as if he were only now seeing her for the first time. His friend had been suddenly possessed by a spirit. Yun rose from his chair and slapped his thighs. All right, Kiyoshi, let's see how this plays out. He flicked his elbow like a green grocer bouncing an apple, and a square stone column burst through the floor of the dining room, snapping planks and overturning the heavy table to the side. It reached the ceiling before stopping. Kiyoshi didn't move or flinch. The attack wasn't directed at her. He was just setting up the game board bringing in earth the two of them could use. The stone had thrust into the house exactly between her and Yun, equal in distance. He leaned to the side, his grin serving as a salute and a signal. There, fair for both of us. Have at it. As if a frenzy had fallen upon them both, they began punching bullets from the monolith, chipping off fist-sized rocks and sending them speeding at each other. They were aiming blind. Yun's projectiles smashed through the plaster of the walls behind her. She ducked and circled, never letting up her own barrage. Yun matched her in violent parody of the gentle spiraling footwork of air bending, keeping to the opposite side of the pillar. The vicious hail of stones whined by her ears. Kiyoshi ended the challenge early by shoving the entire pitted and corded stone column at Yun. It sawed through the dining hall as easily as a finger opening an envelope, ripping its way outside the mansion itself, leaving a gash of sky and field behind. She cleared the dust with a blast of air. Yun was no longer in the room with her. There were three exits he could have taken. She chose the one that led to the central part of the house, with its many rooms and corridors. It would make for a more interesting battleground, and therefore, it would be the one Yun favored. Kiyoshi stepped through the lanes of her own memories. The mansion's paths solidified, changing from phantoms to solid terrain. She knew which floorboards creaked. She remembered which turns were sharp. A spike of earth burst from a nearby painting on the wall, aimed at her head. She blunted it with brute force, holding out her fans, grinding the stone to dust a foot away from her face with sheer willpower. Such strength, she heard Yoon hoot. She followed his voice. She passed the woodpile where she'd once stolen a mall and used it to bash open her inheritance. The door to the kitchen, where she inadvertently revealed the first sign she was the avatar. Kelsung's meditation alcove. It was a drubbing from her past. These were the lumps she had to take. Kiyoshi rounded a corner and a wall of bricks laced itself together, barring her way. Hey now, Yun called from the other direction. You know how I never liked you going into my room. And I never did, Kiyoshi said without turning around. Not even after I took over the house. Thank you. He was nearing her from behind. It's the small kindnesses that mean the most. She flung a thrust kick at him, a torrent of air shooting from her foot, enough wind to scrub the hall from the floor to the ceiling. Only after she heard a crash against the back wall did she let up and look. The force of her airbending had sent paper screens and hallway tables all the way to the other end, smashing them to bits. No Yun though. I was wondering when you'd bring the other elements to bear, he said from somewhere close by. He knew the house as well as she did, every nook and hiding place. It had been his domain before it had been hers. Kiyoshi moved toward the back of the house, where the expanse of the training ground lay. She entered the empty courtyard. It smelled like rotting straw, the stuffing of the target dummies moldering from disuse. Many of the clay earth-bending discs had shattered on their own, exposed to seasons of cold and heat that bleached them from brown to white. She walked to the center, exposed and vulnerable to attack from all sides. Yoon, she said. Can I tell you something? Of course, he echoed off the surrounding walls, impossible to pinpoint. It's time to let go. Kiyoshi lowered her hands. Whether you kill me here today or not, you have to let go of what happened. Yun emerged from one of the alcoves. A shadow fell across his face, blanking out his expression. A wave of malice, as tangible as the elements, came pouring forth from him. The sickening wrongness she'd felt when he first came back to the world of the living. Let go, he snarled. Let go? She'd been trying to pick the words that would help him, and instead she'd struck a nerve. You have the gall to say that? After helping me kill Genju? Yun shouted. You got exactly what you wanted, Kiyoshi. She closed her eyes and let the violence of his emotions wash over her. It was a test of her root. When she opened them again, she was still standing firm. And it didn't bring me peace. It was wrong that you were lied to, Yun. It was wrong for Genju to do what he did. But he's gone. Whatever pain and anger you have left, you have to live with it. You can't put it on anyone else. If the boy she knew was still inside somewhere, he would listen to what she had to say next. You don't deserve to hurt more people because of what you suffered, Yun. You don't deserve to hurt me. Yun paused. For a moment, Kiyoshi thought she'd pierced through the blinders and chains trapping her friend. There was a chance she'd defied the odds and broken through to him. But a confidence born from a terrible place straightened his spine. Oh, Kiyoshi, you've got it all wrong. The motion he made with his ink stained hand resembled the water bending of Tagaka, the pirate queen. A wave of liquid as high as Kiyoshi's shoulders struck her hard from behind, knocking the wind out of her. In her surprise, she thought somehow Yoon had learned to waterbend. He'd finally figured a way around the immutable laws of the world. Were there two avatars now? Or he'd stolen a portion of her bending, the element she'd overlooked the most for lack of experience? It was only when the splash around her solidified, trapping her limbs like a tree caught in an ice storm, did she understand. He'd liquefied the stone floor of the courtyard and sent it crashing over her. He'd melted the rock without heat. earth bending skill was such that he could treat his native element like water. Kiyoshi was encased from the back, gripped as tightly as a turtle duck by its own shell. She couldn't move her arms and legs or turn her head yun approached avoiding the center line of her mouth and any potential dragon's breath i can't believe you think i would ever hurt you he gently tugged the closed fan out of her right hand you the one innocent party in this whole affair i would never hurt you kiyoshi for yang chen's sake i used to be your whole life he dropped the weapon, and it pinged against the ground. I know what's happening here. Your duties have gotten to you, haven't they? I remember what it was like, carrying the weight of the four nations on my shoulders. Genju used to liken them to unruly students in a classroom, requiring the guidance of a strong hand. He paused and chuckled. I used to believe it meant showing the way, leading by example. Now I know better. The world is a child refusing to listen, screaming in tantrum. It needs to be slapped a few times until it learns to be quiet. Yun relieved her of her other fan and tossed it over his shoulder. From the little shake of his head, he wasn't only disarming her. He was removing the parts of her that confused him, trying to reduce her back to the state he was familiar with. The serving girl. The Kyoshi in his memories didn't carry around implements of war. He would have her immortalized. But certain injuries couldn't be undone. Yun frowned deeply when he saw the scar around her throat, an indelible sign of change. See this? This is what I'm talking about. Look at what you've suffered for the sake of duty. He pinched the collar of her armored robe, rattling the links of mail inside. They forced you to hide in this shell. They turned you from a gentle girl into a walking terror. Avatarhood is a curse. Look how it's made you treat me, your oldest, truest friend. Listen to me, Yun. Kiyoshi found herself bolstered by an unfamiliar, terrible, powerful feeling. Pride. Pride in herself. Pride in her duty, no matter how great and terrible and ill-fitted to her it was. Despite the opposition of man and spirits, this was the era of Kiyoshi. There would be no other. I wear these clothes because I choose to, she said, loud enough to ring across the courtyard. Those marks are who I am, she locked their gazes. And I have friends much truer than you. A water whip lashed down from above yun only managed to leap back at the last second the liquid cracked like leather where his feet had been up on the roof across the shingles a slender woman in a fur skirt rode a tide of water she sent another lash at yun forcing him farther away from kyoshi wong karima shouted get her out of there On the other side of the training ground, a huge man flew into the air, stepping on pillars of earth so delicate they seemed like threads. Despite his massive bulk, his flitting movements were as elegant and well-balanced as a sparrow Keats. Hold still, he shouted at Kyoshi, like she could do anything else. Wong was one of the few earthbenders Kyoshi knew who had fine enough control to free her without hurting her. She felt the stone crumble away from her back and arms. She burst from her prison, a statue freeing itself from the marble blank. She barely missed wrapping her arms around Yun in a grapple. He skated away, moving the earth under him instead of his legs. He angled a slab above his head to block the torrent Karima rained down upon him, waiting a moment before sending his makeshift lean-to flying back at the waterbender. She yelped and teetered to the side, narrowly avoiding the missile that gouged a trench into the roof. Cute, Yun snapped at Kyoshi. He pointed his index and middle fingers downward and waggled them higher in imitation of someone walking, or in this case, dust-stepping. Cute technique. I never heard them coming with their feet off the ground. Tell me, is Rangi here too? The air above his head shimmered. Yun glanced up and quickly rolled out of the way before the avatar's bodyguard slammed her flaming fist into his skull. Rangi's fiery impact broke the portion of the floor he'd been standing on. The firebender withdrew her hand from a smoking hole in the ground and stood up to face him. Yes, Rangi said. I am. Above them, Jinpa circled on Ying Ying-yong, the platform she had leaped down from. After they left the Fire Nation, Kiyoshi had sent him to collect her friends, giving him the hideout locations and code words he'd need to gain Karima's and Wong's trust. She'd made him memorize parts of the Daofei Oaths, so he could quote their pledge to defend their sworn sister. And lastly, because she knew her friends well, She'd given him a lot of money from Genju's vaults to bribe them. So much money. Lao Gu hadn't shown, but the old man could hardly be counted on in the best of times. No matter. The Flying Opera Company was reunited, standing at Kiyoshi's back. She had never felt stronger. Are these them? Yun asked her. Are these the Daofei you've supposedly been running with? This is the scum you're calling your companions nowadays? Eh, Karima said. She whirled her mass of water into a rotating ring around her waist. We don't socialize enough for that. Wong shot Kiyoshi a hurt, accusing Look for not being in touch more. He was always the most sensitive of their bunch. Karima sent a fresh torrent at Yun. He raised a neat shield of earth to block it again, but it was caromed off to the side by Wong's own stone. The blast of water knocked Yun's feet out from under him. Kiyoshi tried to sink his limbs into the ground, like he'd done to the nobles of the Fire Nation court. But Yun simply pulled free of the solid rock, dusting it off him like flour from his hands. The earth is my element, he said ignoring the giant plane of tiles, twice his height that Wong was folding over him from behind. I just let other people borrow it sometimes. The sheet of flooring crashed down on Yun. It would have flattened a normal person, even a skilled earthbender. But for Yun, all it took was a flick of his shoulders for the slabs of rock to splash off his back. The stone shattered around him in a neat circle, organizing its own debris for his convenience, spreading away from him like the petals of a flower. He looked up at Wong. Sorry, he said to his astonished fellow earthbender. I guess the avatar's friends will have to try something else. Sure, Rongi said. She stepped forward and inhaled so deeply it could be heard over the courtyard. She exhaled, and then breathed in again slowly, not caring how big of an opening she was leaving on herself. She was almost constraining her power instead of releasing it. Upon her third pulsing, charging breath, she lunged, releasing a flame so intense it nearly turned from yellow to white. It was pure avenging wrath, given solidity. Nothing would withstand such a blast. Yun slid to the side, riding a swell of earth under his feet. Rongi followed his trail, snapping the columns of the training ground with the continued force of her fire bending. She was trying to scorch out of existence the man who'd nearly killed her mother. She ran the fire after Yun as he escaped along one side of the training ground. Her rage carved holes into the walls of the building, consuming its value as fuel in moments, leaving charred, blackened ruins behind. The flame didn't run out until it reached the corner of the yard. Yun hopped off the stone he'd been riding and backed away a few steps from where the smoking trail of fury ended, his eyes wide with surprise. There was a momentary break in the fight. The ferocity of the attack had shocked everyone but rongi herself. Wow. Yoon said. You're really playing for keeps. Rongi responded by inhaling through her nose again. Yoon's head tilted and his eyes went dark. I guess I should, too, he said. He sank into a deep stance. Kiyoshi realized with sudden fear that it was the first time she had ever seen him perform a fundamental of bending like a beginner. He swung his fists, snapping with his waist, and the earth began to violently twist back and forth. Kiyoshi and Rongi were thrown off their feet, the solid ground pulled out from underneath them. The sturdy foundations of the mansion wobbled like jelly. Yun's stance was low and wide, but his arms were as loose as rope darts as he painted his destruction. It was Genju's personal style of earth bending warped to liquefy and annihilate the stone, instead of constructing from it. Around them, the walls folded in on themselves, sucking downward in a groan of tearing wood, as if the house had been built on quicksand instead of bedrock. Karima and Wong finally lost their vaunted balance and tumbled off the roof into the courtyard. They tried to right themselves midair by dust-stepping and mist-stepping but the technique still needed a firm base to work. The vibrating ground shook apart the tiny columns of their elements, and they crashed to the earth hard. Kiyoshi had ordered Jinpa to stay floating above the fight, both to save him from having to participate in violence, and also to rescue anyone who might be in trouble. Now the airbender decided, correctly so, that they were all in trouble. He came flying down on ying Young to pluck whomever he could to safety. Yun raised a hedge of stone spears. A nightmarish memory of Kelsung gliding over the iceberg spread across Kiyoshi's vision. No, she screamed. Jinpa saw what was going to happen and rolled ying Young around so that the bison's back faced Yun, covered by the large saddle, for at least a measure of protection but the maneuver left the rider horribly exposed. The first sharp point took a chunk of fur out of Ying Yang's tail. The second and third buried themselves in the floor of the wooden platform. But the fourth spear landed home. It ran Jin Pa through the shoulder, pinning him to the saddle horn. Ying Yang let out an anguished roar on behalf of his master and pulled out of the dive. In a moment of terrible slowness, He drifted over the battleground, letting Kiyoshi see her friend from the southern temple. Jinpa stared at the stone embedded in his body. The shock in the monk's eyes faded to accepting calmness. He leaned back against his bison's withers as if he were taking a nap. Ying Yong had had enough. With a powerful stroke of his tail, the great beast fled into the sky, trying to take his air nomad companion away from the danger. It was a mistake to bring others into this, Yun said, shouting to be heard over the grinding of the soil and the house, finishing its collapse into rubble. Wong and Karima had recovered and managed to get a sense of timing over the spasms of the ground. They sprinted and skimmed over the earthquake to get around to his blind side, their feet blurs of motion. Yun didn't turn his head. You've just left yourself so vulnerable, he said to Kiyoshi. He hammered his fists down. Cracks parted underneath the oldest members of the Flying Opera Company, neatly placed pitfalls that swallowed them up to their knees. There was a pair of sickening crunches as their own momentum broke their legs. They let out brief screams before clamping their mouths shut, unwilling to give Yun the satisfaction of hearing their pain. With only a few gestures of earthbending, Yun had plucked away the foreign elements from Kiyoshi, leaving behind only what she'd started with in Yokoya. Her and Rongi, He condensed the shaking of the world down to just the patch of ground under their feet, yanking the surface out from under them each time they tried to stand, intentionally undercutting them into the most clownish, humiliating postures. It was no coincidence that the only way for them to stay stable was to remain on all fours bowed before him. He pointed at the corner of the decimated training ground. Broken earth-bending discs flew across the courtyard and smashed into Kiyoshi and Rangi. The training tools were designed to break apart into dust upon impact, but they were also meant to leave lasting bruises under the belief that the best and fastest teacher was pain. Yun struck them about the shoulders with the flying lumps of clay, in the stomach and back. Kiyoshi knew he didn't want to knock them out, he wanted to chastise them. This was a punishment befitting of those who overstepped their bounds. To put the finishing touches on his statement, he made sure Kyoshi and Rangi each took the final training disc to their jaws. The impact flung them head over heels, laying them out on their backs, leaving them both gasping at the sky overhead, choking on the suspended dust. Kyoshi, Rangi coughed. Do you remember what I tried to teach you so many times since Governor Tei's? And you could never do it. I think you have to do it now. I can do it, but not for long. Yun allowed them to stagger back to their feet, presumably so he could knock them down once more. Kiyoshi and Rangi looked at each other, the white powder caked on their features the mention of the Flying Opera Company's moonlight raid hanging in the air. And in an instant, they were possessed by the exact same idea. Of course they'd been losing. They hadn't put on their faces. Rangi pressed her palm to her bleeding lips and swiped a crimson bar down her chin. It was the most distinctive mark of a benevolent river spirit worshipped in Zhang Hui. The same design Rongi had chosen the first and only time she'd ever worn the Flying Opera Company's colors. Kiyoshi gathered the blood streaming from her nose with her fingers. She closed her eyes and dragged crude red streaks across them, tapering back over her ears. It was a far cry from her normal makeup, the fine oil-based stuff from say. but it would do. Together. The two of them wore white and red again, like Dao Fei. I remember Chin Chow, Yun said. You showed a face like that to Jenju once. And now I'm showing it to you, Kiyoshi said. Before he could reply, she ignited the air under her feet. Flame shot out from her soles, lifting her off the treacherous ground, propelling her body forward. She thrust her hands behind her for extra speed, bending concentrated fire from them, torching her own skirt. She was jet-stepping, using the form of elevation that the one Fire Nation member of the Flying Opera Company had innovated. In his surprise, Yoon tried to send out another pulsing earthquake to knock her off balance, but jet-stepping didn't involve touching the earth at all. He couldn't take the ground from under her feet anymore kiyoshi rammed him hard in the stomach with her shoulder he went rolling over the courtyard shifting the ground underneath him to halt his skid as he came to a stop he pulled up another wall of earth to protect him from the blasts of flame rangi rained down from above as she hovered high in the air standing on nothing but the counterforce of her own bending this was their one shot and they both knew it wouldn't last long Jet stepping without pause was impossible, even for a firebender as gifted as Rangi. Kiyoshi put her hands together and shot a massive yellow fireball at Yun, hoping its size and overwhelming power would count for something. She still missed. Yun smirked as he dodged out of the way of the rolling sphere. But Rangi acted faster and better than them both. From her higher vantage point, she spun her arms in a circle mimicking a waterbender redirecting the flame kiyoshi had put out into the world kiyoshi saw her fireball change course behind yun like the orbit of a comet and come around for a second pass caught off guard again the barrier yun raised at the last second wasn't as thick as he needed it to be it exploded under the weight of the flame there was a burst of blinding light smoke and dust flew everywhere The raw power of the Avatar's fire, guided by the refined skill of the Avatar's fire-bending sifu. In tandem, maybe they'd done it. But when the column of smoke cleared, Yun wasn't there. There was nothing where he stood except for a patch of loose, crumbly earth. Kyoshi, Rangi shouted from above. He can tunnel. Yun rose up behind her carried by a rising mound of soil like a waterspout, and drove his hand into the small of Rangi's back. Rangi's lips parted. Her flames sputtered out. Yun let the girl who once defended him with body and mind, spirit and honor, fall to the ground. Kiyoshi managed to reach her in time before she dashed against the earth. She caught Rangi in her arms. Her back was wet with blood. Yun had stabbed her with a spike of earth like the one he'd used on her mother, angling the puncture wound underneath her armor. Kiyoshi shut her eyes. She knew if she opened them, light would shine forth, the elements would flow through her, and her bending would rage unstoppably until she was left victorious, the last person standing. A thousand voices told her so. It had been decided long before she was born that power was adequate compensation for losing what she most held dear. But what was the point anymore? What did the generations have to offer her but sorrow and pain? All she knew as she rocked back and forth, cradling the girl she loved in a lullaby of grief, was that if Rongi was taken from her, she would no longer be Kiyoshi. She would no longer be human. She would be forever on the other side of the rift, among the swirling colors of the void she'd glimpsed in the spirit world, watching humans from afar, a terrible and alien presence. Kiyoshi. Rangi's voice was the only sound that could make her see right now. Her firebender reached for her face. Stay here with me, Rangi whispered, a faint smile on her lips. She shuddered, and her hand fell before she could touch the avatar one last time. Kiyoshi looked up at Yun. The bloody earthen dagger in his hand crumbled to dust. It shouldn't have been this way, he said. But this is how it will be. Over and over again, if you keep trying to stop me. She'd wondered why Kurok had nearly let her destroy her surroundings in the spirit world, and why he'd taken her to the site of the damage Yun had caused. Yun had failed his portion of the test. He would rather break the world than his own self-regard. Kiyoshi knew what he wanted to hear, despite what he'd said before about her being innocent. There was only one thing that would placate him. I'm sorry, Kiyoshi whispered softly under her breath. I'm sorry I stole your avatar hood. Hmm? Yun came nearer. You'll have to speak up. It was yours, and I took it from you. She didn't raise her voice, kept it so he could barely hear her. I'm sorry I robbed you of everything, Yoon. I'm sorry I stole your future. He kneeled down beside her so he could drink in her confession. He needed to hear it from her. But she just needed him close. Within arm's reach. I regret everything, Kiyoshi said, trembling. I regret what I did to you
1: so much. Good, you nodded
0: solemnly. That's good to hear. What else are you sorry for, Kiyoshi? Maybe you should apologize for what you said to me earlier telling me I should just forget what happened. That was a terrible thing for you to say. I'm sorry for saying you had to live with your pain. Kiyoshi put her palm to his chest in a gesture of comfort. Because you won't. The cold she sent through his body formed a tunnel of ice between his ribs. It happened so fast and with so much force moisture in the air behind him turned to frost. His back sprouted vaporous wings of crystal that disappeared just as quickly. With his heart and lungs frozen solid, Yun fell to the side. Kyoshi took the hand with which she'd killed one of the two people she'd loved, and placed it against the wound of the other. Water. She needed more water. Her tears of light weren't enough. Please, she said into the past. There, in the distance, she could feel a response. She could hear the voices helping her, guiding her where to look. Kuruk no longer blocked her path. The water avatar opened the door and showed her the way. The broken ground in front of her rumbled and cracked. A tiny trickle of water leaked out from the well that supplied the mansion. It was the same water she'd hauled up by the bucket during her servant days. She nearly left at perhaps the most underwhelming use of the avatar state in history. She'd once pulled earth from the seabed through the depths of the ocean. But this was better in her mind. Healing was better than destruction. The water coated her hand and began to glow. She had to reduce her power as much as she could in order not to damage Rongi further. But there was no more fear in Kiyoshi's heart. She would be her
1: own miracle this time.
0: Kiyoshi watched Rangi's eyes flutter open. The firebender looked around the plain wooden room, the broad wooden chest with its myriad little drawers, the charts of energy paths on the walls. She struggled to her elbows atop her bed. How did I get into the infirmary? She wheezed. It was one of the few sections of the mansion still standing. I brought you here after stabilizing you, Kiyoshi said. I've been working on you since. Yeah, Karima snapped, leaving us to suffer the whole time. She waved at her leg and then Wong's, immobilized in the splints. They sat in chairs against the opposite wall. You didn't even give us anything for the pain. Jinpa needed the medicine more, Kyoshi yelled. The monk lay in the other bed, swaddled in bandages. He'd been dosed with herbal concoctions to dull the agony of his shoulder and gone slightly loopy as a result. He was busy drawing patterns in the air with his good arm and quietly singing tavern songs that a monk shouldn't have known. Perhaps Kyoshi had given him too much. This guy's not a member of our group, Wong protested. Did you swear oaths of brotherhood to him too? Because you're not allowed to do that. You can only do the actual swearing part to one group. Shut up and stop whining. Kiyoshi missed the two of them so much it hurt. The world's greatest doctor is on her way here right now. She can treat you better than I can she turned back to Rungi. You're not properly healed. You're just not bleeding anymore. In all likelihood, you're going to catch a fever from the dirty wound or a punctured gut. And I don't have the experience to do anything about it. You might even have permanent damage. Atuat's hurried emergency-focused training hadn't granted Kyoshi as much healing ability as it did knowledge about what abilities she lacked. Rongi saw her distress. Kiyoshi, I don't care. I do! Kiyoshi's confidence had vanished as she'd struggled with Rongi's injury. It had come down to luck and less than an inch. Maybe Rongi had twisted slightly at the last second, or her armor had deflected the blow. The thin stone blade missed her lung. If it hadn't, There would have been no helping her. Kiyoshi was ready to call herself the most fortunate avatar in existence. You're going to get worse before you're better, but Sifu Atuat should be here by then. Your mother, too. Rangi
1: grew still. Does that mean. Yun is. is it over?
0: The others, noticing her shift, went silent. Kiyoshi had been asked that very question long ago, after the final time she'd seen both Jenju and Yun under the same roof. One her greatest fear, the other her greatest regret. Both of them now gone. The hollowness left behind let her know the answer for certain this time. It's over, she said. Rangi cupped her hands over her face. She sniffed, sharp little noises ringing in her palms. Kiyoshi pressed her forehead to Rangi's. And together, they cried for their friend.
1: The meeting.
0: Kiyoshi kneeled before the stone. Using her fans, she'd tried to engrave it with the information normally written about the deceased for posterity. But each time she tried, it was too much for her to bear. The year of his birth, the same as hers. The year Kurok died. Family name. Like her, Yun didn't have one. The ease with which he'd assimilated into high society had many visitors convinced he came from a noble family of prominent standing. But the truth was, he was a commoner, the same as Kiyoshi. The date of his death. Sometimes people used the Avatar calendar to precisely mark when their loved ones had passed. Doing so in this case would have meant Kyoshi writing her own name on Yun's gravestone. She had to leave the space blank. So it came to be that his marker was unusually sparse. Yun, from Makapu. The rest of the stone was empty, as if it could still be filled with an unwritten destiny. She'd buried him on a hill, he could see the village by the waves below and watch the clouds drift overhead in the skies above. Everyone had left except for Rangi, who lingered by Kiyoshi's side. It was the three of them together, like it had been in the very beginning. "'Was I right?' she asked Rangi and any spirits listening nearby." The muscles in her chest were tired and aching from grief. Was I right about anything at all? What will they say about me? Avatar Kyoshi, who killed her friend because she couldn't save him? I don't know, Rungi said. I can't tell you anything for certain about the future. Only that I'll be there with you. She leaned over, supporting herself on the crutch she'd taken from the infirmary, and kissed Kiyoshi on the top of her hair. Then she limped down the hill, leaving Kiyoshi alone with her memories. Kiyoshi waited and waited, until finally she thought of the right farewell to give. I wish it could have been you, Yun. If it couldn't have been me. Neither part of it was a lie. A gust of wind swept her hair. She heard a chirping sound, perhaps a bird disturbed in its nest. She looked behind her. From a nearby bush, a snout poked out. Its owner emerged into the clearing. A four-legged animal resembling a falcon fox, only without the beak and feathers, furry all over. The beast stared at Kiyoshi with glowing green eyes. It padded over to her, sniffing along the way, until it was close enough to nuzzle at her. She didn't know what to do except offer her hand. The fox, fox licked her palm, the roughness of its tongue tickling her skin. She risked scratching it behind its ears. Creatures like this didn't live in Yakoya. The strange animal leaned into her touch, enjoying the contact, until it suddenly and arbitrarily decided it had had enough. It chirruped at her again, throwing wide jaws set with small pointy teeth, and then dashed back into the bush. A few seconds
1: later, it came back. Somehow, it looked annoyed with her
0: the fox padded around in a circle you want me to follow you she said it scratched impatiently at the grass until she got up kiyoshi followed the fox through the woods over the edges of the hills down and up ravines there was no trail and she nearly fell several times off slippery stones and bridges of rotting logs. She didn't know where they were going, and though she had spent nearly a decade in the village, she couldn't boast knowledge of every inch of the mountain. Wandering was dangerous and expended energy. The younger version of her liked to stay put. Speaking of which, getting lost as an adult wasn't a good idea either. We've gone too far, she said to the fox. Then she realized she was talking to an animal. She'd gone too far indeed, in the head. The fox jumped between two thick trees. Kiyoshi sighed and wedged herself through the space. She stumbled into a clearing. In the middle was a spring. A little pool with clear, fresh water bubbling up from the earth. It was hemmed in with mossy stones, and the lip jutted out over the slope of the mountain. It was beautiful. Kiyoshi understood once she saw the water. Kuruk had sent the fox to guide her to a spiritual site so they could commune. Her connection to the water avatar, as it had been made obvious, was strongest near his native element she saw a flat table of a stone, perfect for sitting on to meditate. The fox watched her climb onto it and take a cross-legged position. She arranged her hands with her thumbs touching to make a circle, preferring it over the knuckle-to-knuckle contact master airbenders used to align their tattoos. As Nyahitha had observed, it didn't take her long to detach from her body and the physical world once she closed her eyes. Perhaps because the realm of humans hadn't cared for her much, it was easy to separate from it. Or she'd simply gotten more skilled with practice. It was difficult for her to admit, but at the cost of sufficient effort, sometimes heroic, inhuman effort, things could get better over time. She smiled once she felt a presence across from her. "I don't want to relive memories of you swimming in this pool," she said to Kuruk. "Sure?" a woman's voice replied in confusion. Kiyoshi's eyes snapped open. It wasn't Kurok sitting in front of her. "No," Kiyoshi whispered. Her heart pounded between her ears. Bile surged over her tongue. No, 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 no. She wasn't ready. She wasn't ready to see her mother's ghost. What kind of cruel trick of death was being played on her? How had Jessa of the Eastern Air Temple come back to haunt her? Kiyoshi scrambled back over the rough stone. She flailed her arms to ward off the tall, beautiful air nomad woman, the one who'd abandoned her in Yakoya, never to return. You're not here. You're supposed to be dead. The spirit parted her lips and raised her dark brown eyebrows. The act scrunched the blue arrow tattoo lying over her shaved forehead. I know. Kiyoshi, who do you think I am? Kiyoshi caught her ragged breath. She squeezed her hands under her arms to still their shaking. She forced herself to think rationally about it, instead of panicking over the same slight laugh wrinkles about the eyes that Jessa had and the deep gray eyes the statues at the air temples couldn't capture. People could resemble each other. No one's face was as unique as they thought it was. Yang Chen, Kiyoshi said, It's you. The air avatar gave her a mildly embarrassed smile. Even that she shared with Jessa. It was too much, and Kiyoshi burst into tears you look just like her kiyoshi sobbed you look just like my mother yang chen was surprised but being the woman of legendary compassion she knew exactly what to do she opened her arms and kiyoshi fell into her embrace the feeling of air nomad robes against her face reminded Kiyoshi of Kalsong, and her bawling reached a higher pitch. Oh, my child, Yang Chen murmured, despite what they'd just established to the contrary. She hugged Kiyoshi to her chest and stroked her hair. I'm sorry. I'm so sorry I wasn't there for you before. But I'm here now. Everything is going to be all right. If there was a good avatar for Kiyoshi to thoroughly embarrass herself in front of, it was Yang Chen. Sito or one of the others, known for their rigid discipline, probably would not have let her finish crying in their arms. They wouldn't have let her be weak for once. Yang Chen not only soothed Kiyoshi with a gentle touch, but she let her take as much time as she wanted to compose herself. I have so many questions, Kiyoshi said, once she could sit up straight again. You're the first person I've been able to talk to about being a proper avatar. Yang Chen tilted her head. Was Kurok not able to guide you? You couldn't have reached me without connecting to him. Kuruk spent his days battling dark spirits, not Kiyoshi was going to finish with not making any sort of impact, but that was doing the water avatar a disservice. Her world could have looked very different had Kurok not made the choices he did. Yang Chen read her thoughts, a feat made easier by the fact they were the same person. Let me ask you a question, Kiyoshi. Have you ever wondered why there were so many angry spirits during Kurok's time? I asked him, but he wouldn't tell me. Did he provoke them? Turn them dark somehow? No, Kiyoshi. The air avatar had no hesitation in answering only an underlying sadness. I did. Yang Chen used Kyoshi's surprise to begin her explanation. I tried my best to nurture human growth in the four nations, she said. When people inevitably butted against the spirits, I sided with humans more often than not. The heart walker of Yao Ping Mountain, the phoenix eels living in the underground caverns of Ma Inca, General Old Iron. Many spirits came to me with complaints of human transgression against their territories. I told them they should leave the physical world alone and trust their lands and waters would be respected by the humans living nearby. And I trusted those humans to respect the balance of their surroundings. Some people upheld their ends of the bargain, many more did not. The sigh she let out was imbued with a heavy guilt. Kiyoshi, every avatar makes mistakes and I was fairly consistent in mine. When humans violated the promises I made on their behalf too many times, the spirits turned dark and wrathful. Those were the ones Kuruk was forced to hunt down. But none of that was your fault. Yang Chen skewed her face to disagree. Kiyoshi couldn't believe the embodiment of serenity could wear so skeptical an expression. I gave each nation everything it wanted, but only realized my error too late. People shouldn't have everything they want. No one is entitled to their every desire, to live in balance, we must willingly decide not to take all that we can from the world and from others. She glanced at the pool beside them. My choices ultimately led to Kuruk's suffering. The poor boy thought it was his duty to maintain my legacy and reputation. So he did it alone without sharing his burden. I might have done things differently had I known how much pain I'd be causing my successor. Kiyoshi didn't know how to respond. I can sense you're a little disappointed, Yang Chen said. Not disappointed, just confused. She had wanted desperately to meet Yang Chen, the woman who supposedly knew exactly what to do in any given situation. Kiyoshi had hoped to gain some insight into what her future as the Avatar held, and how she should meet the challenges to come. Reaching Yangchen was supposed to be the end of her journey, not the beginning of fresh uncertainty. Kiyoshi had come to accept the mantle of Avatarhood proudly. But how was she to fulfill her duty the right way without knowing what to strive for? Let this be my first piece of advice to you, Kiyoshi," Yang Chen said. "There's a thousand generations of past lives in the Avatar cycle. You could spend a thousand years talking to us, and you still wouldn't know how best to guide the world. This is what you must forego, Kiyoshi. The easy answers. You must give up your desire for someone to tell you your choices were correct in the end. Kiyoshi bit her lip. I don't fully understand, but... Yang Chen read her thoughts again and smiled. You'll keep trying anyway. That's the spirit, Kiyoshi. Their surroundings began to thicken, the physical world becoming dominant once more. Her past life had decided they were done for now. They could always talk again in the future. The air avatar might have sought to impart upon Kiyoshi the importance of self-reliance, but simply knowing she wasn't alone was an immeasurable comfort. One more thing, Yang Chen said. Huh? You broke one of the sacred air temple relics. A clay turtle. Yang Chen flashed Kiyoshi a frown, befitting the powerful Lady of Steel, who'd famously enforced a great peace upon the world. See that you replace it. There's only one more lifetime after yours before it's needed again. Before Kiyoshi could apologize, Yang Chen vanished. Kiyoshi blinked. The air avatar's exit was as undramatic and straightforward as the woman herself. Yang Chen came and went like the wind. Kiyoshi wondered if the encounter had changed her somehow. She couldn't detect a difference within herself, but maybe one would become clearer with time. She remembered what Nyahitha said to her over a flickering light how a fire was never the same fire. Kiyoshi wasn't the same avatar as Kurok or Yang Chen. She wasn't even the same avatar she'd been a day ago in the future, perhaps. She'd become finalized like carved stone. It would be easier to deal with the world then. She could only hope. As she stood, her legs filled with the ache of blood rushing back through her veins. It was a good sign she was still human. She saw the fox basking on a warm stone nearby. It opened a single green eye and then stretched to get up with her. You're a spirit, aren't you? She said to the creature. She'd expected it to be long gone, having fulfilled its mission of leading her to Yang Chen. But it was still here, waiting. Well, if you're going to stick around, do you think you can guide me back to my friends? The fox yawned in response. It picked a route out of the clearing and down the dangerous slope, moving slowly enough for her to follow. She still had to be careful not to lose her balance and fall. Kiyoshi kept her eyes focused on her difficult path, sometimes stumbling, but making sure to catch herself, taking one step at a time.
1: Epilogue
0: After a long day in the tower study, surrounded by relics of his ancestors in the journals of Taz the Strong, Fire Lord Zoryu dismissed Chancellor Cowley, the late Chancellor Dairon's former student and successor. The two of them had been spending a lot of time together, crafting how this period of history would be viewed by future generations. Cowley had imaginatively suggested calling it the Camellia Peony War. Despite war being precisely what Zoryu had managed to avoid, he liked the sound. It was pretty and poetic. The skies were gray outside his window, rare for this time of year. Zoryu sat in his chair, a high-backed piece carved by a Seinaka craftsman, and watched evening fall to darkness. The word he'd received from the avatar indicated she'd tidied up the mess that had spilled out of the Earth Kingdom. He didn't take the girl for a strong liar. Yun was out of his hair. His ruse would hold. The fake Yun still lingered in the prisons, though not in bad conditions. Huazo Zhou, and the other Sawan in the capital were under house arrest. Their relatives in Ma'inka couldn't act militarily without risking their lives, and so remained bottled up on their home island. An observer might mark this as the moment the Fire Nation was truly saved. Zodiu knew better. Only fools thought they were ever saved. His struggles were just beginning. Huazo and Chae Jin's ploy for the throne was the symptom of a deeper sickness within his country. As long as the clans held power and were swayed to the greed and hatred of their ruling families, the Fire Nation would constantly erupt in these fevers of civil conflict. It had in the past. Without change, the future would be no different. He dreamed of the day when the citizens of the Fire Nation stopped using the silly insignias of their home islands as reasons to start fights. He longed for the ability to take the surplus of one island to feed the hungry of another. He wanted his country to stop burning itself in the name of honor. To make his dream come true, he would have to break the clans, all of them, including the Kyoso. There could be no true strength in the Fire Nation unless the fealty of its citizens was reserved for the Fire Lord alone. It would be a generational project. Remolding the country would take decades, centuries. Zodiu would not live to see his great work completed. But he'd planted the seed by ruining the Salwan, one of the most powerful families of the age. He'd proven it could be done. His children and his children's children would have to continue his efforts to weaken the clans, destroy them, render them irrelevant. And then one day, one day, a fire lord of his bloodline would look upon his strong, united country and sit the throne in peace. But right now, Zoriu had to figure out tomorrow. He considered the Avatar's ultimatum sparing the sawan appeared to be simple it was anything but there was nothing he could do with them the clan was dishonored aimless in disarray yesterday he'd flirted with the idea of incorporating them into the standing fire army but he doubted they would readily accept subservience and worse the burden of supporting them would fall on the fire lord's coffers The simplest and best solution was the one he'd decided on first. You didn't have to pay a salary to a corpse. He would call the Sawan like the nation's farmers had done to their plagued pig chickens. He would merely have to go back on his word to the Avatar. Defying Kiyoshi was the option without cost. The islands would be refreshed in the blood of his brother's clan. Zodiu heard thunder outside his window. The night skies opened and began to pour. He had to stare at the falling sheets of water for a good minute to believe they were real. Rain, so late in the season, it almost never happened. The tension left his body in an uncontrollable giggle. For rain to come after the festival of Seto was the ultimate sign of good fortune it would accumulate in the mountain tops, refill the cenotes and ensure a productive start to the next growing season. it would stir the seas and attract migrating silver-skim fish closer to the islands into waiting nets. by this time next year, the fire nation would enjoy a bounty beyond imagination. not even lord Cheju of the green fields could boast of such a blessing during his reign. This was a sign from the spirits. The islands approved of Zoryu's plans. For once in his entire life, he felt lucky. He hadn't been this happy in a while. That was why it took more than one lightning flash for him to notice the man crouching in his window. Zoryu shrieked and fell out of his chair. The man stepped inside the room, dripping water on the floor. By the light of the candles in the study, Zoryu could see the intruder was old, very old. But he moved with a slinking, deadly grace, as if his tattered robes covered the muscles and scales of a dragon. Hi, the man said brightly. He took no heed of the rain he was drenched in. You must be Zoryu. He smiled and then frowned. You are Zodiu, right? I've heard there's been a lot of funny business going around recently involving people who look like each other. You wouldn't lie to me about being the Fire Lord, would you? Something about the old man made Zodiu certain he could have had the greatest double in the world, a living talking mirror, and this person would still be able to tell them apart. I'm Zoryu, he said. His voice sounded tiny, like he'd shrunk back into the boy Chai Jin used to boss around in their youth. Who are you? You can call me Lao Ge, or Tie Gwai. I don't care. Listen here, young Zoryu. Normally, I the people I visit. He drew his finger across his throat as he made the sound. But today, I'm delivering a message on behalf of a friend. Consider yourself lucky. What's the message? Zodiu asked shakily. He had a good idea already who it was from. That powerful people like yourself are still beholden, the old man said. That you can still be reached. My friend had a hunch you might be inclined to go back on your promise and shed a little blood. Hide a few atrocities. This is your reminder to be the benevolent fire lord she knows you were always meant to be. Go pointed at himself. Now me, I approve of your sort of ruthlessness. But my friend has a softer heart. Not a whole lot softer, mind you. But she prefers it when people live. He shrugged as if it were the most ridiculous idea he'd ever heard. So she sends an assassin to threaten me? Zodiu rose from his seat, indignant. I am the Fire Lord. I am the reigning head of state. Is this how the avatar conducts diplomacy now? The old man put a single finger on Zoryu's chest and shoved. Zoryu flew back into his chair hard, nearly tipping it over. Shooting pain rippled from the single point of contact. He had to check he wasn't bleeding. You don't understand, the old man said. She told me to tell you she realizes her entire mistake was trying to dabble in politics with you. His voice dropped into a deadly register. My friend is not a diplomat. She is the failure of diplomacy. She is the breakdown of negotiations. There is no escalation of hostilities beyond her. He stood back, a grandfatherly smile on his face once more. Deciding the message had been sufficiently delivered, he hopped onto the window ledge to leave. Zodiou didn't know how. The drop from this height was at least a hundred feet. The man looked over his shoulder for a parting word. Some people in my country like to believe Avatar Yang-Chen watches over them. But you, Fire Lord, I can assure you that Avatar Kyoshi watches over you. Zodiu bawled his fists. The feeling of powerlessness infuriated him, made him slip into childish retorts. She can't watch me forever, he yelled. The old man tilted his head back and laughed
1: to rival the thunder.
0: This concludes the reading of Avatar, The Last Airbender, The Shadow of Kyoshi, by F.C. Yee, with Michael Dante
1: DiMartino.